don't be afraid to master your fears and to rely on somebody or something greater than yourself. Welcome to the Recovery Edge Podcast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today we are uh, sitting here with Nick, who I met over five years ago, maybe seven or six, something like that. And I think we met at the uh, Rule 62 group in Frederick. Is that right? No, man. Uh, We go back a little farther. Actually, uh, I think we were finding each other on Tuesday nights. Oh, really? Yeah, we knew each other there first. Okay. That's kind of my first step into the rooms. And uh, yeah, you and I played that in and out game for a while. That's probably why I don't remember much. (laughs) Yeah, it was blurry. It was uh, kind of the, the worst of times, you know, I mean... Obviously, getting into the the rooms was a good thing for for you Mm -hmm. and I both. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was hard for me to kind of grasp the concepts and and surrender completely, you know. And uh, thank thank God for my time there because, uh, you know, there's a few fellas uh, I met in in that room uh, in particular, you included. And, you know, uh, we've lost some of those people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they planted seeds that... uh, kept me coming back. And I think that's just phenomenal. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we also have Kayla here who is playing co-host. So if you hear a, a, a giggle or you, if she intervenes, that's who's here. <laughs> Kayla R. Um, Nick, why don't you start us off with uh, your sober date and maybe if you have a home group. Sure. Uh, okay. So I call my sober date, uh, March 18th, 2016. Um, that was when I left uh, a detox center for the last time. Uh, I stopped drinking on March 15th, but, uh, you know, I had the uh, the crutches, if you will. I was in my safe little bubble for a few days, and, uh, you know, I really had to take that responsibility and uh, get honest with myself and with life on the 18th. So uh, 18th, March 18th. Good enough. Um, how about a home group these days? Uh, I am... Still calling Rule 62 in Frederick my home group. Uh, you know, that's where I did finally uh, find sustained long-term recovery uh, in that room in particular. Um, I helped kind of get that group off the ground, and I've been bouncing around a little farther north uh, up on this northern side of Colorado, but, uh, you know, I still, that's where my roots are, Rule 62. Great. Um, yeah, you know, I've I've always went to rule 62 over my uh, alcohol or recovery career, I should say, even before I really got any serious uh, sober time, I was frequent in there. And uh, that's where I really got to know you better than I did in the Tuesday group, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we did a lot at the, at the rule 62 group, you know, helping set up some cool events and stuff. And we really helped watch it grow and really, you know, because when I went in there, it was just a couple people, you and Kay and Kim. And then uh, just to see how it grew for a while was pretty exciting. Um, a lot of people, like you said, we, we don't see anymore. And, but that's how all meetings are, really, just given time. You know, some people will move. Some people will just don't come back. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, uh, lots of turnover. Um, that's definitely a part of my story. You know, I... Uh, was in and out for a long time. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, Rule 62, 
uh, I actually walked into Kay's house uh, to do a service repair. She had blown an outlet and um, needed it replaced. And, you know, in so doing, I was moving furniture around to get to the outlet, and I saw a big book uh, kind of tucked away under one of her uh, end tables. And so I was like, hey, I know what this means. I, I recognize that symbol. And so we started having a conversation, and she was asking me about groups in the area and, you know, what a lack thereof we had. And, um, yeah, so we set the task of, uh, you know, trying to carry that message. And uh, it was just the three of us there for a while, you know, me, Kay, and Kim. And, uh, you know, that was the last time I went out uh, was when we were trying to get that group off the ground, you know, uh, Kay and Kim were really trying to hand me a lot of responsibilities, and, uh, you know, I, I accepted some of those responsibilities, but then I dropped them. I dropped the ball and uh, picked up a bottle there and, uh, you know, disappeared. Sure. And uh, I had those friends that were very worried about me for a while, and uh, eventually, um, you know, uh, the the truths that I've learned in, in, in the rooms, you know, came back to me. Uh, right. Thank, thank God. And, what? you know, it was time for me to get honest. Let's go ahead and go through your story then. You know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And you can go far back as you want. You know, what, what whatever you think helped get you here. Sure. So, floor is all yours. Right on. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I grew up uh, learning how to uh, stuff problems at a pretty young age stuff, uh, the, the, the feelings I was having, um, you know, I was raised in two different households. One was very secure and wholesome. And, um, you know, the other household was, uh, it was always a crapshoot. I never knew what I was going to get. And, um, you know, I watched my mom struggle with alcoholism and, and substance abuse for a long time growing up. And eventually it became a part of my coping mechanisms. I was able to kind of stay clear-headed uh, into high school. You know, I had a pretty good uh, track of what I wanted to do and where I was going, and I had, you know, seen enough damage done with drugs and alcohol that uh, I just knew better. I, I, I wanted to stay away from it. But I also had this compulsion to live life on the edge and, and, and have excitement. You know, I always wanted to see if I could get away with trouble and, you know, see if I could be the, the guy that could, you know, narrowly escape. And um, when I uh, got into my advanced years of high school, uh, I ended up suffering an injury which took me out of sports. And sports was a really big catalyst for keeping me on the straight and narrow. When the sports went away and, you know, I had the opportunity to see what was going on in the stands on game nights and things like this, um, you know, I, I, I started making some pretty poor decisions and really fell off track at that point. You know, by the time uh, I was a senior, I barely graduated. You know, it took a lot of help from my parents and staff at the school to get me through uh, to the other side. And somehow, miraculously, I did that. And... Um, I was off to college, and then I was completely untethered, and that's where things really, really fell apart. Um, 
you know, I, I failed out that first semester um, because I never went to class. I was always more into the excitement and living the life of, you know, being a, a college student and, you know, just that exploration. And I became a daily drinker at that point and um, things unraveled from there. Um, you know, it was fun for a while. It was exciting. You know, I was uh, the life of the party and, um, you know, I felt bulletproof and it uh, it led me down a terrible place. Uh, you know, I mean, within a year I was uh, kicked out of school and I had uh, started selling drugs and um, fast forward to the following school year, um, I was not enrolled in classes and I was just living that lifestyle and I ended up having a party and having the police show up, getting busted for having um, a whole bunch of drugs, for having an underage drinking party and yeah, so that was really my first taste of consequences, negative consequences and um, having a good idea that what I was doing was going to lead me down the wrong path. However, I chose to keep on feeding the, uh, the urge, the compulsion, you know, and there's a, there's a huge part of that compulsion for me with drinking. Um, you know, I think I alluded to the fact that I was in and out for a long while and, uh, you know, it was just a matter of snap decisions, not thinking things through, um, being in a very emotional mindset instead of being able to be wise-minded or make even rational decisions. I was just making all of my choices based off of emotion. Um, so fast forward, you know, through that whole court process, uh, you know, I got the book thrown at me pretty good. And, um, you know, I had upset a lot of people uh, when I got busted. Obviously, all that um, product that I had went away and I, of course, owed people. And um, so I had to pick up, move out of town and and to reestablish myself on the other side of Colorado. I moved in with my uncle there for a while, and um, he gave me a taste of, you know, blue-collar work and what that was like. And, you know, I was able to stabilize there for a little while and, you know, eventually found my way out of his house and under his wing and uh, moved into another place, uh, an apartment of my own, and, you know, just kind of fell right back into the same motions. You know, I started doing harder drugs, at that point, um, and just kind of fell right back into those vices and, um, you know, took it right back to Boulder County with me when I came back around 2001, and uh, I got a job as a bartender. And you know how that probably unraveled. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, you're spending the money to make the money and uh, to buy the product to just live in that cycle. How long did you do the bartender thing for? I think that was three years. Um, you did it for three years? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. until the restaurant shut down, um, you know, that's where I met my first wife, uh, the mother of my children. And, uh, yeah, you know, it would be one of those things where we would work until close and then we'd, you know, continue to party on into the early morning hours, sometimes until daylight. And, uh, it was a vicious, vicious cycle. And, um, you know, uh, my first wife and I, we dated for a long time before we got married. And she was always trying to 
you know, help me along the way. And, uh, you know, I knew I had a problem. You know, I would make her promises that I just couldn't keep. And, um, you know, so the that guilt and shame started to creep in when I was unable to stop. You know, I had this wonderful person who was, uh, you know, loving and kind and um, wanted me to be the best version of myself. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is I just wasn't ready yet. And I was still in a very selfish place and a very um, emotionally immature place. And uh, I didn't have any of the tools I needed to really make the break I needed. Um, you know, so uh, she hung in there. And, uh, it, it, you know, we started uh, building our family. I had my, my oldest daughter uh, in 2009. And, um, you know, I really tried to use that opportunity and that responsibility to motivate myself to, you know, change my ways and, and, and be a father and, and be a husband and, you know, nurture my family. Um, I'm a, I'm a family man through and through, you know, I, I, uh, I, I still have to work on that, you know, to this day, um, that devotion is there, but, uh, you know, this, this disease of mine, it, it, it just kind of takes over and, uh, I let it, uh, I, I rode that compulsion mentality, um, or it rode me, you know, rather. And, um, you know, uh, it, it was, it was hard. Uh, I couldn't stay sober and I couldn't figure out why. And, you know, that developed into a lot of, of self shame and, uh, you know, just disgust in myself. Um, you know, um, and that's when things really started to get bad when I had such a, a wonderful carrot in front of me, a family and, and a, a new child and, these things, and I, I still couldn't pull it off. I still couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, that was really when I started to wrestle with the depression of it all and just the demoralization, you know. Um, and that's when things really started to get scary, you know. Uh, I mean, that was the first time, you know, when I realized that uh, I was going down to the basement and disappearing from from my family and from that opportunity um, to self-satisfy and, and, and take care of my own urges and compulsions and perceived needs, uh, you know, that, that really did a number on my soul and my spirit. And, uh, yeah, you know, I did some scary things. Uh, I, I can distinctly remember one time being in the basement, uh, getting myself hammered and listening to my wife upstairs outside you know, I had the window cracked and she was out there with my, my baby, uh, in the grass playing and having a good time. And I was down in the basement, um, you know, getting tuned up again for who knows how many consecutive days in a row. Um, and, uh, that was, that was the first time that I thought about ending my life. Um, that was the first time that I was just desperate, you know, and I didn't want to put this on anybody else anymore. I didn't want to feel what I was feeling anymore. And the alcohol simply was not numbing that pain. Um, and, and, you know, I, uh, I got really close and this is probably the only time that, uh, you know, alcohol did something good for me because, you know, I, I pulled out a gun and, uh, I put a bullet in the chamber and I 
took a couple shots, and I chased it with a big can of beer, and I passed out. And when I woke up, the gun was gone, and, uh, you know, my wife had found me, passed out in the basement, and that's when she, I think she realized that she had a bigger problem on her hand than she could really handle, um, you know. And so, you know, in and out of, uh, you know, a, a myriad of things, uh, treatment centers and whatnot, I went to my first treatment center in 2012. I uh, finally admitted to my parents and to, you know, everybody what was going on you know the the cat was eventually out of the bag and i just i gave up i couldn't i couldn't do anything and i knew that this was going to be a slippery slope for me um i went to a treatment center in i think uh 2012 i think it was april or so and um when i got back from california i went to my first group that was a friday night group over in frederick um and uh that's where i met a couple of gentlemen who, you know, at least planted those seeds. And uh, I think that first time out of the treatment center, I got about four or five months. And, um, you know, in and out, in and out from 2012 to 2016. You know, uh, treatment centers, detoxes, uh, all over the place. Um, you know, uh, during that point, I had my second daughter, and, um, you know, I was, I was an absentee father. Uh, you know, I was an absentee husband, uh, at that point, you know, um, I was so far down in my disease that I, I, I basically abandoned my family. Um, you know, my, my wife at the time, uh, bless her heart, she, had to take over all those responsibilities. Uh, she had friends who came over to help her. Uh, my folks came over to help her. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just in and out of consciousness. It was a, it was a really hard time. And, uh, again, the guilt and shame crept up and just demoralized me further. Every time I would fail, it was just another rung lower on my ladder. Um, and uh, eventually it, it was just not working anymore and uh, my wife asked me to leave and she wouldn't take no for an answer you know I tried everything uh, you know I was uh, battered and bruised and embarrassed and I wanted to stop but I couldn't I didn't know how uh, even being armed with some of the knowledge and tools I had acquired when I was in and out of the rooms um, I wasn't applying you know I was still in self-will, and I hadn't relinquished that. I hadn't surrendered. I hadn't taken that first step, you know. Uh, I was still holding on to pride and ego and feelings and emotions and who I was at a, and who, who I thought I was at the core. Um, yeah, so that was uh, kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, things got very scary from there. Um, you know, I was living in a, a friend's basement, and um, it was down to nickels and dimes, Alfredo. I mean, I was, you know, I was barely hanging on to jobs. I couldn't, I couldn't keep jobs. I would just exist to drink. And, you know, I was paying for that as I could, you know, when I would get a paycheck. But, you know, it got to the point where it was literally, I was, I was sifting through my change jar 
just trying to get one more drunk. And um, that was a scary place. That was, that was really bad. And I was all alone. You know, I had burned my bridges with my family. I had burned my bridges with my wife. Um, and it was just me. And, uh, you know, it, it got scary enough to the point where I was starting to have the, the DTs and audible hallucinations and visual hallucinations. And uh, I, was, I was desperate. There was no, there was nowhere else for me to go. Um, you know, I, uh, I was scraping, scraping that bottom for a while. And, uh, you know, it was during the holidays that, uh, I just kind of gave up and, um, really started to wonder how much longer I could sustain myself, how much longer I was going to live. You know, uh, then, you know, I, I, I was able to f- somehow pull myself out for a while and I started to evaluate how I was spending my time, where I was spending my time. And I started to shed some of these things in my life that kept me drunk, that enabled me to keep drinking. Uh, you know, I, um, unfortunately I had to. Uh, step away from the relationship I had with my mother because she was uh, she was an enabler and uh, she kept me she kept me in the throes uh, we we kept each other in the throes ultimately and um, it just got to a point where I had to separate myself uh, from from having that capacity to keep on feeding my disease and um, it was hard it was really difficult but. Uh, you know, it, it kind of gave me a period of reprieve and that period of being so alone that I had to really latch on to my spirituality and my higher power at that point. Um, so I did that. I did that for three or four months and I, I didn't co- talk to my mom and I, I didn't communicate with her. And um, I... I I hate to say it, but, uh, you know, this, this doesn't have a happy ending, this part of my story. Um, you know, uh, that affected my mom negatively, and, uh, you know, she, she really only had me as her family because she had burned her own bridges in her own time. And so it was just us, and then it was just her. And then when that went away, she went off the deep end, and uh, it ended up taking her life. Um, you know, I never talked... To her in the in the last four months of her lives, uh, in of her life, um, you know, and uh, I got a call from my aunt, and I was at work, and she hadn't been able to get a hold of my mom, so she asked me to go over there after work, and by the time I got over there, the police department and the coroner was already there, and uh, she was gone, and the gravity of that, the gravity of the, Seeing, you know, my 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 mom uh, not make it out of this one alive. Uh, it was the beginning of the end for me. Um, you know, that was uh, that was when I knew that it was going to catch me too, and because you know, if she, I I don't know how to say this, but you know, I I had 
accelerated myself past her drinking abilities. You know, she had been a drinker my entire life, and I was drinking harder and heavier than she was. And so that was a real hard truth for me to face. And I couldn't. I couldn't face it for a while. And, uh, you know, I started drinking and using again. Um, and it was, uh, it was trying to take me out. I was trying to take me out. One of those things that uh, the pain was just too much to bear. And, uh, you know, that mental beat down that I'm really good at uh, giving myself. Um, it was just, uh, it was thunderous and uh, consuming. And, you know, it just about had me down. And, you know, um, fortunately, I don't know what happened. Um you know, my God is stronger than my disease. That's all I can say, you know. And uh, whether it was desperation or fear, I don't know. But I was able to walk back in uh, to a room with a couple of days under my belt. Uh, like I said, the 15th, uh, you know, I went into a, a, a detox, stayed for a few nights until I was able to, you know, Detox completely. They sent me back out into the world, and uh, I went home, and the house was trashed, and my life was trashed, and I needed to share. I needed to share that I had been dishonest. I had this overwhelming urge to just get things off my chest and be honest with myself, with the people in my life, and uh, so I went across the street, and uh, I talked to a bunch of gals in the community uh, where I was living who were customers of mine, whom I had hide this lie uh, or hidden this lie for, for years. And I came clean. And I let them know that I was an alcoholic and I was struggling and where I had been and why their jobs hadn't been completed. And... You know, I thought I was going to lose everything, but they embraced me, and it felt so damn good, to be honest, and it felt like there was hope, and I felt like I was doing something, you know, for my higher power and for people other than just me, and that was a, a turning point, for sure. What year was this now? Uh, this was, uh, yeah, 2017. Uh, you know, I, uh, this pretty much happened in tandem with, uh, uh, you know, I spoke to this group of women because a meeting was a couple days away. Uh, and then I spoke with Kim and Kay and let them know that I had, uh, gone back out and, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to be relinquished of my duties with the, with the program or with the, the rule 62 meeting. Um, but I knew I had to start over. Mm -hmm. I mean, from ground zero. Yeah. You know. So then tell me about that first year, your first year sober. <clears throat> it was hard, man. Uh, I mean, every day was a challenge every day. You know, I had been so pre-wired and comfortable with, you know, getting to these mile markers in my recovery and then being able to shut it down. Mm -hmm. You know, I fought 
for, you know, between 2012 and 2016, I could not string six months together. I'd get two months, I'd get four months, I'd get five and a half months, you know, but I could never hit that six-month mark. And um, lo and behold, you know, uh, Kim and Kay kept on giving me those responsibilities, and, you know, I had that accountability portion now. You know, the customers knew what was going on previously, and they weren't going to tolerate it for much longer and neither neither were my friends in the rooms you know um if i wasn't ready they were going to just leave me to my devices because you know it, it needs to come from within and uh yeah somehow miraculously i i i just kept on coming back and i kept on having those responsibilities and i kept my ass in the chair and i listened more than i spoke and i got those six months um and life started to get easier and, you know, my feelings started to get easier. And then it was nine months. And then, I, you know, I just kept on going with it. And uh, all of a sudden I had heavy, heavy metal sitting in my hand hmm. and I felt empowered and um, I felt ready to, you know, shed this dark past and, 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 and to start giving back and to start blessing people because you know I, I really had been giving a given a second chance and I didn't feel like I deserved it but I wanted to make good on the second chance I, I didn't want to squander it I didn't want to look God you know as a gift horse in the mouth uh, you know I didn't I didn't want to fail I didn't want to fail him anymore I didn't want to fail my kids anymore. I didn't want to fail myself anymore. What are things like today, especially with the kids? I, uh, it's, it's an incredible, you know, my, my kids have a faith in my sobriety. They have a faith in the fact that I'm, I'm not going to go back to that. And they don't, they aren't going to have to suffer through that anymore. There is a confidence, uh, with my kids and my ex-wife, which is remarkable. You know, um, her faith in me, you know, is, is is probably stronger than my faith in me sometimes, you know. And that's that's incredible because she saw me and she knew me as a daily drinker for years, you know. And uh, it's, it's empowering, man. It really is. And, um, you know, it, being a parent is, is a beautiful thing. It's the coolest thing I've ever done. But it's also the most challenging thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm their example, right? And they've got, they've got my blood in their veins, you know? They've got my disease potentially stirring within them, you know? And as I'm watching them grow and learn more about the world and experience what it has to offer, both good and bad, you know, um, I'm blessed that I've had these experiences and I'm going to be able to impart into them, you know, my recovery. And they see it and they see it work. If we can talk about your mom for a minute here. Sure. Um, there's something there's something positive that you got from that situation that's benefiting everybody around you. What do you think? Is that a true statement? My mom was a, a really 
loving person. She was so cool, you know. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, she was just so different when she was in the throes of alcoholism. It was just A personality, B personality, two totally mm-hmm. different people. Um, I think, you know, looking at it now, um, you know, she died so that I could live, you know. I think it needed to be an emphasized point for me. You know, I thought I could keep on playing the game forever, you know, because, well, if she can do it, then so can I, right? And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there was there was a lot of, of blessings uh, in, in that tragedy, you know. Um, I still wrestle with the fact that I didn't talk to her during her last four months, you know. But, you know, I still talk to her now. And, you know, she's helped me to stay sober, and she's helped me to achieve all of these things that I, I've been able to give my kids that she always wanted to give me, but never could. She's given me all those things now, you know, and, uh, uh, I think, I, I truly think that through losing her, I was able to refine and reestablish my own life. Yeah. And I think your kids don't ever have to feel like, or wrestle with these issues that you are wrestling like you're taking that burden. Um, and I only say that because you were close to ending your own life, you know. And so you know what your kids would potentially have to go through themselves because you're feeling it. And you can protect them from that with your sobriety and recovery and everything, all the blessings that you are giving them now. You know, it's it's pretty miraculous. There's a miracle in there somewhere. There sure know? is, man. There's many miracles, you know. Uh I don't know what the future holds for my kids. Um, you know, I, 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 I worry about that a lot, you know, passing along the, yeah. the gene. But, um, you know, I, I have an opportunity to be an example and to show them that, you know, we can't overcome, you know. I mean, even if those feelings just seem insurmountable, even if they seem so big that we just want to run and hide from them, we don't have to, you know. And... Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about kids, my own children, or, you know, a newcomer in the rooms, you know. It's it's awesome to be able to say, if I can do it, then you can too, you know. Um, because there was a point in my life where I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I thought I was going to die drunk, you know. I, I knew it was going to take me. When did you uh, become GSR for Rule 62? How many? How much sobriety time did you have? I was pushing on two years. I know that we were really desperate to, to really kind of form, you know, some sort of structure uh, so that we could take things to the next level with that group. So I think I was a little shy of two years. I want to say like one year, nine months, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just having that string of responsibility. You know, and yeah. earning that respect back, not only for myself, but with the kids and, you know, the people in the rooms, you know. Yeah. Do you remember the first uh, unity dinner that the group had? And, oh, yeah. And, yeah, that was a lot of fun. When did you speak? Did you speak? You didn't speak at a unity dinner, right? I did speak at a unity was dinner. Was that the first it, one? It wasn't the first one, no. Uh, I think it was the second one. 
Oh, mm-hmm. the second one was probably the biggest one, I bet. Right. Yeah, there were there were a lot of people looking at me that night. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh yeah, you know, it was one of those uh those nights where the the clock just spun, man. It was over before I knew it and then I kind of had to, you know, the catch how, up and wrap up. How cool was it to have that place filled with 70 people that night when it started off with just 3 of you guys with with this fantastic idea, you know, just it was it was incredible you know we we could see that it was working and i felt like i was a part you know and having that that unity Mm -hmm. you know i mean it was strong yeah it was empowering and you guys gave me a place to go Mm. you know um so i'm forever grateful like the impact you guys had like we'll never know the impact we have on people's lives but you guys have certainly had a big impact on my own so i love the story you know i love how you started rule 62 and just everything that you went through to get there it's amazing how these things fall into place for you and you didn't know that it would help me you know or whoever else walked into that room you know it's pretty miraculous um so thank you you know um I remember going to Greeley with you to the GSR meeting. <laughs> what did you think of those meetings? Or it was a district meeting. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I felt uh, like I was out of my league and I wasn't ready yet. I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, but, you know, that responsibility and and doing what I was supposed to be doing, you know. Yeah. Um, the GSR at the time, or... Uh, uh, DCM leader, maybe yeah DCM mm-hmm. um, Matt you know he always said uh, thanks for having a meeting when you said you would and yeah. you know I mean that's kind of where I learned that part and that component of accountability and, and following through on your word you know yeah um, it was hard you know I didn't want to drive up to Greeley I mean it was a 45 minute drive I was starting to get back into having family time with my daughters on a regular basis and, you know, reestablishing with them. And, uh, it was a chore. I'm not going to lie. And it was dry, you know, at that point, you know, those meetings were so dry and old school and just, you know, function. But you gave our, um, our region, you know, like Frederick and Firestone Tacono a voice finally. Like you were part of that, like getting us back in. And that was just our start, you know, who knew, um, you know, these days that region is pretty involved now back in district and we're always like doing events or there's always like, like the assembly is going to happen this year. That's a, that's a big, um, like that's like a day and night difference from when, you know, we started and we were going up to Greeley, like we hardly even had a voice there. Sure. I remember thinking, that, oh, maybe we should just go to uh, the Boulder area because it's right there and whatever, you know? Yeah, we wanted to kind of move into a different district. If I remember you and I talking about it on yeah. a drive up or down from Greeley. Yeah, just like. And and now Frederick is such a big part of the district, you know, and it and it really, you really helped jumpstart that again. So, um, like I said, man, there's so many things that we do that we don't even know the, the impact that it has later and. You know, your story and everything that you went through is nothing short of miraculous to be here and seeing how things have grown, you know, with uh, just just your effort and your recovery. So it's pretty awesome. 
I mean, I wouldn't have it without the programs and the, and the people that stood alongside me. And, you know, you make an interesting point, Alfredo, that, uh, you know, we wanted to take the easy way there for a while, but we yeah. didn't, did we? Like, people talked us out of it because it wasn't the way that we needed to take. We needed to go through it, and we needed to go through those motions and do the things that we didn't want to do. Yeah, yeah, we did. You know, and, you know, it, it, it taught us that, you know, it's not about us, right? It's about a bigger piece than just us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a greater group. So here's a question, one more question. Okay. Let's say you could write yourself a letter today to the Nick that really needed it back then. What would you tell yourself? Hmm. Man, that's a good question. Uh <laughs> Proud of yourself, huh? Uh, (laughs) If I could give my most desperate version of myself a piece of advice, it would just be afraid to, uh, it would be, don't be afraid to master your fears and to rely on somebody or something greater than yourself. I took it all on myself. I took on all the guilt. I took on all the shame. And I thought it was only me who could stop this this pain and this fear and this terror and this this roller coaster. And it wasn't. It was really all about getting outside of myself, you know, um, whether it be through the service work or being honest and not only carrying the message, but being able to demonstrate how to do it, you know? I mean, everything intimidates. Everything in those earliest days is hard and seems like insurmountable. But, you know, if you latch on to support and you are willing to let go of control and trust in in your higher power and something that's greater than yourself, you can achieve this. You know, Ego was a big thing, a big blocker for me, I think. I felt like I had to do it all myself. And that, that never worked, man. Never, ever, ever. I had to get honest. I had to get honest with people. I had to get honest with God. And that led to being honest with myself. Thank you, Nick. Wait, your co-host has a question. Kayla. Do you have a question? Go ahead, step in. I do. Um, I just think you have such an amazing story, and you've come so far. And so through your story, I was just thinking about, like, what's your relationship with your higher power now? And, like, what does that relationship look like? My relationship with my higher power. You know, I've always been very spiritual. And, uh, you know, at my hardest point, I felt like I didn't deserve his love and his grace. And that beat me for a long time. That got to me. But, you know, we're all God's favorites. Me, you, anybody who is willing to have that two-way dialogue with him, he wants to listen. And... um you know, I, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, I've been given a second chance, you know, 
and um, I'm blessed to have that. And um, I don't want to squander that second chance. I want to make my father proud. I want I want my higher power to be proud with the work he's done with me because he's put in some serious work, man, you know, and uh, that's what it is, man. That's what life is. You know, life is a lesson one after the next. And it's what we do with those lessons and recovering our mistakes. You know, that's how we overcome that guilt and shame. And we can become proud of who we are and what we're doing, how we're carrying ourselves. And I want to be one of his children. I want to be one of the people that can be a good example of that. Thank you, Nick, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. And thank you listeners for checking us out. You can find more of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.